0: If you're like me, you've had uh, moments in your life where um, you latch on to something, some new shiny thing comes within your sights, and you think it's just the greatest thing ever, and you have to have it, you have to do it, you have to uh, have, make some kind of action in order to become aligned with this, this thing or this movement or whatever it is. And uh, you see all the good parts of it on the outside. Of course, you know people and institutions and just I think the world likes to put the good stuff on the outside. And it, it takes a little while for you to get down into the nitty-gritty of it. And once you get down there, though, you find out it really wasn't everything you had thought or hoped it to be. And the disappointment sets in and perhaps... You lose interest and it trails off and then the next thing comes around and the next thing. And I'm, I think of that today when I hear the gospel reading in which uh, Jesus has come, is coming down from the mountain. Now, the pretext to this is that he was on the mountain with Peter and James and John, the Mount of the Transfiguration. And if you come on the pilgrimage, that will be the first stop that we make, the Mount of the Transfiguration. Just a little plug there. But they're coming down the mountain. Peter and James and John have seen Jesus in his glory. Peter wrongly suggested that they build shrines on the mountain, one to Jesus, one to Moses, one to Elijah. Elijah, Elisha, Jesus says, no, we must go forward. And so he sets his face toward Jerusalem and his eventual death and, of course, resurrection. And so on their way down the mountain to Jerusalem, they pass through a village of the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans, uh, interestingly, are sort of cousins of the Jews. And they were the people who were left behind during the Babylonian captivity. And so during that time, it was quite a a number of years, generations really. During that time, the two cultures uh, grew apart because the, uh, the ruling class, the priests, the scribes and everything, they were the ones taken into captivity. So they had the knowledge and the wherewithal to maintain their traditions and their language. The people who were left behind did not. And so when they came back together again, they were essentially two different people and they did not get along. And so that's the, the meaning behind the story of the good Samaritan who takes care of the man on the, on the road. But in this particular case, the Samaritans do not want anything to do with Jesus because he has his face set toward Jerusalem. And so they eschew him and the disciples are incensed. And they say, Lord, shall we pray to rain down fire on these people? Would you like to have that ability? But Jesus rebukes them, of course. And so they go on to the next town. And in this case, we have three different examples of either people asking to follow Jesus or Jesus asking them to follow him. The first one uh, says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus gives him the very, uh, very famous uh, answer. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That is to say that in his ministry, he never, he never had a town that he called home. We, we, we consider Capernaum to be a place where he spent a lot of time. He was born in Bethlehem. He went to Jerusalem. He was in Galilee a lot. But he never owned a home. He never uh, had whatever the equivalent of an apartment was. He was always on the go and relying on the hospitality of others. Of course, we know his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, uh, by name. But I'm sure there were many other people who provided lodging for him and food and meals. But he's saying to this person, if you follow me, there is no home base. We go where the Spirit leads us. And to some, that's a little discouraging. We all want to have a home base. We all want to have a place where we know that we can come after a long day, And rest our heads or after we've been traveling for a while and, you know, that feeling of sleeping in your own bed. um, Jesus is saying "You, you won't have any of that comfort if you are one of my followers. But then Jesus invites someone to follow him. But the person says, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus's response seems a little cruel, a little off. Let the dead bury their own dead. You would think that Jesus, the good shepherd, the, the pastor of pastors, would have a response like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Can I help you? Where, is, you know, where will this take place? What can I do? But instead, he says, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another person says, I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to my family. That doesn't seem like an unreasonable request. I'm sure we've all seen images of uh, young men or women going off to the military and saying farewell to their family or, or uh, parents dropping a child off at college for the first time and that sort of emotional uh, farewell. Or just in general, day by day, as you uh, kiss a loved one, loved one goodbye as they go to work or as you go to work. Those little things mean a lot. And so Jesus says to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These are all harsh words from Jesus. Um, And I, I think that the things he addresses are not outré. They're not outside of the human experience at all. Indeed, mourning the dead, saying goodbye to loved ones, wanting a place to call your own. Those are perfectly normal and acceptable things. But I think what he's trying to say is that being a disciple of his is not just like uh, joining, hopping on the bandwagon for the next fad or the next thing to come around. It's not a celebrity diet. It's not, um, you know, bell bottoms. You know, it's, 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 if you do it, you do it. You get in it, and it's, it's part of you for life, and it's work. It's difficult. Yes, there are times of excitement and joy, but there are also times where being a follower of Jesus Christ will put you in a situation that's uncomfortable. Uh, you will wish that you could be somewhere else or be doing something else or have something easier put on your plate. But no, being a, a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, I say dis- disciple on purpose because... You can be a follower of anything. And of course, today we follow this, we like that. And it's all very virtual. It's not even, it's not really real. You know, I get invitations all the time from people. So-and-so wants you to like this. And I say, okay, I'll like it. And I don't really like it. I don't even really know half the time what it is. But, so you see, we we just sort of casually throw that following and liking around these days. But if you wanna follow and like Jesus, um, it's really a lifetime vocation. It's a lot of work. And the disciples found this out all too well. Of course, even they, throughout their entire ministry, fought and squabbled with each other. They did a lot of things that we heard you're not supposed to do in, uh, in the epistle reading today. The, the enmities, the quarrels, the anger, the jockeying for position, biting and devouring one another. I love those words. Because it's, it's things, those are things that we are all... Uh, susceptible to, but we set our face toward Jerusalem, don't we? Just like Jesus, we, set our, we fix our eyes on the cross because it is in the cross of Jesus Christ that we find true freedom, we find true salvation. And not, as Paul said, not a freedom to just do whatever you want, but a freedom, a liberating freedom to be. to be something better than what you were a day ago or a week ago or a year ago constantly striving to imitate Christ. And we all fall short, we always will, but we have that great example of our Lord who steadfastly turned his face toward Jerusalem, who went knowingly to his, uh, to his false trial, to his execution, but also to his resurrection. And so we have that hope, that though the road may be uh, rocky, though we may stumble and fall from time to time, We are always led by that cross that is always before us because we know that what was once a symbol of shame and death is now a symbol of glory and eternal life. And we we strive, like the disciples, imperfectly to be followers of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have our loved ones, and yes, we have our lives and our distractions and our toils and tribulations here on this earth and he knows that and he loves us and he sanctifies all of that but what we must always remember is first and foremost we are disciples of jesus christ we are his brothers and sisters and because of that heirs of eternal life with him in the name of the father of the son and of the holy spirit amen